Hello and welcome to this NLive's Open for Business podcast platform. My name is Adrian Price, the guy from the university, as I keep saying, with the perfect face for radio. And I host a show every Tuesday from 7 to 9 p.m. called Open for Business. Open for Business celebrates the very best of business in Northampton and Northamptonshire and brings together business, civic, charity and indeed academic leaders to talk about the business environment, to talk about initiatives and projects, especially where, they're, where they are all working together for the good of the community. So enjoy these extended interviews on this podcast. They're now set up as a standalone for you to savour and uh, to learn from some of the movers and shakers in the county. Enjoy. Get ready for the first Northamptonshire Chamber Business Exhibition of 2022 at Kettering Conference Centre. On Tuesday the 8th of March, businesses from across the county will come together for this fabulous networking event. And your business should be there too. As it'll be International Women's Day, the theme is Break the Bias. And there'll be two free seminars on social media for small business and unconscious bias, plus over 50 exhibitors and the opportunity to network, share best practice, and make new connections. So join us for the first Northamptonshire Chamber Business Exhibition of 2022 on Tuesday the 8th of March from 10am at Kettering Conference Centre. Do you ever feel like life is getting on top of you and it's difficult to complete everything that needs doing? Well, you're not alone. All of us, including myself and my guest today, um, feel that way at some point or another. We're joined today by Claire Drakeley, our very own Renaissance woman, a woman of many strings to her bow. She's a business owner, a leader, mentor, and an academic, currently leading our BA events management program at the University of Northampton. Claire, welcome to the show. Thank you, lovely to be here. Before we get to our topic of the day, which is, um, as the title says, 80% awesome, can you give our listeners a flavour for the kinds of things you've done in your career so far? Of course. So um, I, whenever, whenever I'm asked this, I usually start with what my first degree was, which was mathematics. And um, I, I still surprise myself the fact I did a mathematics degree. I, don't get me wrong, I love maths and, and it's something that I delight in and I continue to, to study. Um, but um, it, it wasn't uh, the kind of automatic thing that, that people when in my further career but in arts management it wasn't part of the the makeup so it, it really helped me to stand out from the crowd and it, in fact it was one of the reasons I got my first real proper foot into management and business um so I well, I graduated and I went into uh working in the arts I, I realized when I was at university that I, I wanted the the kind of combination of the creativity and uh, design and ideas that I got from dance and theatre, which I've been doing since I was a young child, um, and the logic and order uh, of, of mathematics. And, and I've always been one of those people who, who really likes putting the right things in the right place at the right time. I am very much a mother's daughter in that regard. And um, so th this idea of the dark art of arts production uh, that subsequently became event production was, was very much kind of where I went, oh, this, this is interesting. This is a really interesting combination of things that are really important to me um, and, and things I'm good at. So it's kind of an opportunity to, to explore whether I could really thrive in this environment. Anyway, I graduated and I got my first job working with English National Ballet as a production assistant on Sleeping Beauty at the Royal Abbott Hall. And it was the most extraordinary experience. Um, I'd, I'd come from a, a very, very bad placement um, for that I only lasted three months in because it was so hideous. And I uh, went to work for EMB and 
I, I rebuilt, rebuilt my confidence. I learned so much about how a show gets put on in that environment. I was working with a team of hundreds of people, um, all consummate professionals working to really high standards. And, and it was a bit in at the deep end, but I loved it and I absolutely thrived on it. And that from that, um, I'd, I'd written to all the dance companies in, uh, in the UK going, hi, I'm, I'm interested in working for you. Um, tell me, you know, get, are there any jobs available? And, and I was also applying for jobs like mad at the time, but um, I, I got the job with EMB and then I, I had a phone call from the chief exec at um, Rombear, who a gentleman called Christopher Norse. And he said, um, firstly, I haven't got a job available, but I'm really interested in you because uh, you've done a different subject at university. And uh, at that point in time, the majority of people applying for arts jobs were uh, either discipline specific um, or were English or history, politics maybe, graduates, and uh, maths, science, economics was really unusual. So it made me stand out. It turned out that his first degree was law. So he was equally, he kind of had that resonance with, with somebody who could bring together different disciplines um, and, and was interested in, in that, that kind of person. And that gave me my first real step into management and business um, because he then asked me to go an interview for his, the role of his PA that came up happily at the end of my contract with English National Ballet. From that, I, I worked in the dance sector for about eight years um, coming, building up to being company manager for Ron Bear in the end uh, and managing all the touring, all the logistics, all of the business entrepreneurship side of things. So the merchandising, the studio hires, um, the education sales, etc. So I, I, I kind of rebuilt up this um, uh, position, this personal brand, if you will, where I was uh, focusing on entrepreneurship and creativity and events and and producing. Uh, and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, uh, it showed my personal life. My mum wasn't very well. So I moved, I ended up having to move back to Cornwall where I grew up. Uh, and when I was there, I kept having the same conversation with these different people that there was no events agency. And I kind of went, oh, well, I could, I could do something here. Um, so I set up an events agency. Um, I'm not one for holding back when a really good idea strikes me. Um, and uh, so I did and took that leap. And I ran my events agency, Macrosky Events, for 11 years, uh, running events of all shapes and sizes uh, across the whole sector, from PR launches to training events to mass public domain engagement to corporate conferences um, and and all kinds of things in between um, I mean I've, I've lost count of how many there were but it was it was just extraordinary and it was a, a really challenging process of being both the business leader and owner as well as being the main producer behind uh, behind the events over that time I built up a team of about 20 um, and we were you know it was it was a really good experience but it got to a point where I needed something more and an opportunity came up to move back to London and to move back to English National Ballet as their head of enterprises and events, which I did. Um, and I then set up and the, looked after the move from the old building to their brand new facilities in London City Island in East London. Uh, and, and it's being a bit like being a, a kid in a toy shop. Uh, this venue was mine to play with and I could set up and did set up a, a a business unit within the organization that was turning over half a million pounds in its first year, um, which actually was an important amount because that's how much the additional running costs were of the new building. Um, so it was a really vital part of the ongoing business plan. Um, 
but then COVID hit and at that point I was ready to transition I'd done my work with English National Ballet and uh, I then moved to the University of Northampton uh, as program leader for events management thank you Evelyn. we are very very welcome to to have you join our team so, so it's been a bit of a roller coaster yeah. ride and it certainly hasn't been linear that's for sure Absolutely. Um, I think one of the things that fascinates me uh, with your career in particular is just the kind of the agility of it and, and the fact that you've seized on a lot of different types of opportunities. So oftentimes when we talk about kind of career development and, and managing our professional selves, a lot of people view that as kind of a very linear process that is um, kind of fitting within one specific industry and in one kind of particular, um, it goes in one particular type of direction, but you've done quite a few, um, you know, different, um, different things. Um, so I, I'd really like to know a bit more about your business, the 80% Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about what it is, who it's for, how was it born? I presume it had something to do with, uh, with your career. Absolutely. So um, it, one of the projects that uh, I founded and ran with uh, Macro Sky was a, a project called Agile on the Beach. And this came out of software businesses um, in Cornwall at the time wanting to get together to have something that was for them, that was about their learning and development. And in the process of this, uh, it grew to become uh, one of the top uh, Agile conferences in the world. And, and it's, it's going strong, it's, it's a great, great conference and um i thoroughly enjoyed being involved with it but the thing that it gave me that was more valuable than anything else was it introduced me to the world of agile um, and not agile in the sense of being able to flex or or move but agile as a practice and a discipline um, which as as you may already be aware came out of the software development industry uh, and is now being applied more broadly and that's really where 80 percent awesome comes into play because uh it was developed by, by my my friend rachel and myself um both agile practitioners and both involved in agile on the beach, and, and we uh, took a we took a holiday. Um, Rachel and I went to the Isles of Scilly and escaped from our partners and children and lives for a few days. And whilst we were there, we were talking about agile and we were talking about applying it to real life. Um, and in that process, we came up with a proposal to speak at the following agile on the beach conference with a, a, a concept of agile guide to life recognizing that we could apply this idea of agile practice um, and uh, have a quick google and look up the agile manifesto because that's what it's really all based on um, but the the idea was how, what happens if we apply that agile manifesto to our everyday and in this agile guide for life presentation we we looked at agile grief we looked at agile dating we looked at yeah you know, and to, to the extent that uh, again my friend rachel had a <laughs> went on her first date with her, her current partner, um, had got post-it notes out and was, was, was doing a, a Kanban board, and I'll explain that in due course, but um, uh, on, on the table in the pub where they'd met for their first date. Um, so, you know, agile dating, um, I say agile, agile parenting, uh, that whole idea of actually how can agile help us to, to engage with our real lives um, and, and maybe there's some use there. And, and there's, there's quite a lot of parenting books that in particular that talk about you, know, you can apply. Um, I'm not sure whether I advocate this, but you can apply business concepts into your day to day life. And I did do quite a lot of that with um, uh, my family in terms of applying, working as an agile team and, and things like that. So that's really where this idea of 80 percent awesome came from. And, and, and fundamentally, when we were on this holiday, um, a short break, Rachel and I realised 
uh, there may or may not have been gin involved, but we realized <laughs> that um, working at 100% all the time is just not possible. And we realized this because that's when we were both at burnout. We, we were taking this break mm. because we were completely overwhelmed with everything that was going on. And the, this idea, that this ideal of being at 100% all the time and that mm-hmm. we actually in some way, shape or form, if we weren't giving 100%, we, were, we weren't good enough. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people can relate, can relate yeah. to that, especially, especially professional women with, with families, especially young families. Definitely. And, and this idea that we then kind of reflected on this and kind of, well, maybe, maybe actually 100, 100% isn't, isn't where we should be at because we can't, mm-hmm. we're human, we can't sustain it. We, do, we just can't. So this idea of 80% actually reflecting high sustainable performance mm-hmm. being more of a target. So again, shifting our mindset. So rather than it being, well, I've got to achieve 80 um, or I'm not good enough, we've kind of shifted it to the 80 is a great day. We love working 80%. Mm-hmm. but we don't always have to be there and we have to accept that we're human so sometimes the best we're gonna you know and I've had a few of these days recently but where 10% is is my max I'm I'm, mm. I'm holding on with my fingernails and that's okay everybody needs a duvet day every so often and, it, and it's and that sounds flippant but this is much more around how how, how we use this idea of operating at 80% awesome mm-hmm. and however we might define that 80% and that awesome idea everyone's different everyone's strengths and talents are different um, and so this this concept of, of 80% being, okay, what can I do to enable myself to be more at that 80% level? But we're also with a health yeah. warning, actually, if we're sitting at 90 to 100 all the time, if we're finding that we are absolutely flying, we need to be aware and alert to the fact that burnout was potentially around the corner absolutely. because we are human and we can't sustain it. So really, what I guess what you're saying is we're, we all operate on a spectrum, right? And depending yeah. on, a, on our day-to-day circumstances, some days are better and, and we get more done and we feel more productive and some days we don't necessarily. And, and that's okay. It's just understanding that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fluid situation that goes through, through peaks and, and troughs. Definitely. It's also about understanding what helps us to... Yeah. To, to move up that spectrum um uh the, the, there's no should in there but it's it's really about understanding for ourselves what our kind of minimum viable life is and uh minimum viable product is a term that's used quite a lot within agile uh, yeah. and 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 it's really about what need it what's the minimum to meet your the basic needs of of the of the product or service um in life what's what's my my minimum viable life is that i need to uh, have enough money to have a roof over my head and put food on the table. I need to make sure that myself and my son are clean and fed and ready to go um, for school and work, etc. Um, I and, and then we start layering up. So it's not just about the component parts of life. It's about the actually what what are our non-negotiables? What are the things that are absolutely essential um, mm-hmm. that that we could you know that would either result in in something really significant happening or or would change you know what's important to us what are those essentials um and uh and then thinking about well what's the next layer up and actually most of us are are easily hitting our minimum viable at 10 percent. most yeah. of us are, are absolutely there because that's not the core of life it's you know to borrow another model uh, hertzberg's hygiene and motivation factors mm-hmm. we're hitting our hygiene factors that's 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 generally um met it's then it's the step on from that, but actually that to, to, to 
be the people we want to be, to achieve what we want to achieve, to um, whether it's progressing our careers or whether it's um, making home life easier, whether it's considering some big decisions, whether it's taking advantage of opportunities, whatever those things might be, there are other things that we, that we want to consider and put around us to, um, to enable that to happen. Uh, and some of it's mindset and some of it's practical and some of it's action focused. Um, I'm just looking at so one of the tools that we created within 80% Awesome is the Lean Life Canvas. And I'm just looking up at my, uh, my wall above my desk um, where, I've, uh, where I did uh, a Lean Life Canvas uh, at Christmas. Um, and, uh, and things have changed since I did that, but it's, it's, it was really helpful for mm-hmm. looking at that. What are my basics? What do I need to do? What, what tells me I'm performing at 80% awesome? What are the feedback loops there that, that enforces my, or builds my confidence, builds my self-esteem, helps me to be more me? Um, we look at, uh, on the canvas, we look at stop, start and continue. Um, so we're looking very much, and it might be a really small thing or it might mm-hmm. be a massive thing that we then need to break down. So we then start to look at um, three things I'd like to achieve by a particular deadline and what I'm gonna do to put it in action. So really, kind of bring it full circle from thinking quite conceptually um, into what does this mean in practice and what am I going to do about it and setting some goals within that so it's it's um the the whole 80% awesome concept is and actually it's been endorsed recently by um an article in the Guardian about um Usain Bolt who yeah he works 85% um, but yeah this, yeah this recognition that 100% is not um, possible it's just at least not, possible. not every day exactly exactly and yeah. the yeah, you know, everything in balance and that actually to, to be able to sustain ourselves and to uh, sustain our networks and our friendships and our families and and, and our work life and yeah that, that broader thing of, of of being our best selves um that sometimes we need a bit of help to be able to see how we can do that and we need some space and time to reflect on it for ourselves and to then identify and action it so it's not just about action all the time it's about yeah. taking some space to really think and reflect and to apply this agile concept to our real lives and to one of the one of the big things in the manifesto is responding to change over following a plan yeah so bearing in mind that we, we are no longer in a world where we have careers for life yeah. um that actually our ability to change adapt our resilience if you will um is is a, a continual part of through. life it's, yeah. yeah exactly it's, it's yeah. what we need um so th- this idea of responding to change over following a plan doesn't mean we don't plan at all in fact quite the opposite it means we have a plan but we're not wed to it we're not exclusively going to follow that and, and careers aren't are no longer a linear thing um, yeah. I've just been talking with some second year students about exactly this that careers mm-hmm. don't go step one step two you know plans don't yeah. go step one step two and within the events industry we are constantly working in a non-linear environment anyway yeah. so this idea of of how do we enable ourselves to be more resilient to be more able to respond to change over following a plan um, and to be able to cover that in our real lives as much as in our work lives so not just saying it's a work thing and leaving it alone but letting it come into our personal lives it's more of a it's a me thing whatever whatever that entails yeah without doubt and and, yeah we talked talked, everyone's talked about pivoting through covid and and so on um that is agile in practice ultimately but perhaps we lay out the models around it but it's um <laughs> very much is that response yeah. to change or following a plan none of us planned a global pandemic of course so yeah it's, it's that idea of um and, and even small things if um yeah you know, I, I had a, a my 
the key fob battery in in my car key fob um, died whilst I was at a friend's house and mm -hmm. um so I came out and I couldn't get into my car I couldn't drive home and I was and it, for, for about a minute or so whilst the alarm was going off and waking everybody up um, <laughs> I, I kind of I, I kind of freaked out for a minute and then went hang on whoa it's right let's just take a breath um and I know that maybe three months ago that would have floored me yeah um for various reasons but yeah that so building that capacity even a small thing can derail us sometimes and that's okay yeah. um but it's how can we make sure that we we just we, we kind of shrug it off and we go it's okay it's not yeah. a big thing it doesn't need all my effort to, to try and respond to this change I've, there are bigger things that do need that effort and, and focus yeah. so that resilience is is um about being able to adapt really quickly and accommodate the challenges mm. and the niggles and the stuff not quite working as we plan kind of stuff absolutely so um obviously as part of your um february uh, very busy february you are offering some free workshops um online through zoom do you want to talk a little bit more about those absolutely so, so um, what will you be doing and what can um, people expect um to gain from it fantastic well um so Rachel and I kind of took a bit, took the pandemic off. We, we had great plans at the beginning of lockdown, um, you know, nearly two years ago, where we went, great, what an opportunity, this would be fun. I think everybody so did. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then we all just got a bit exhausted. And, yeah. um, and Rachel and I were the same, and we just kind of, we can't, I, I actually have no capacity to do this. I, I'm, we're all struggling with working from home and trying to figure out what on earth's going on are we are we keeping to the rules or not keeping all of that stuff. so it kind of we just went do you know what we're not going to add this to our part of stress we're just going to park for a while so we've just let it let it sit there um and in the background we've been doing some work with um the inclusivity project uh, which is uh part research led and part practice led uh, using uh -huh. creativity in uh health situations as well as work environments and um and so we are kind of restarting um also with, with some activity and that, that that's based on the workshops and um some research that we're doing to really understand the impact of, of the tools that we've created and the, this approach so we want to understand does this actually work or is it just something that we dreamt up that that we know and we've had lots of feedback from people that says it does work and it's found really helpful mm -hmm. we want to open that up as broadly as possible and um and we really want to start uh, promoting this idea of 80% being high sustainable performance. Um, so, so yes, we're offering these free uh, Zoom workshops uh, where we'll talk through the concept of 80%, we'll talk about the, um, the spectrum of, of 80% and we'll talk about uh, the tools that we use and, and how we can use those to, to gain some order in the chaos um, that, again, we, helps us to be more us and to enjoy life and to to achieve what we want to achieve and all of those kinds of things. So we'll be talking about the Lean Life Canvas. We'll talk a little bit about Fanban. So Fanban is a, uh, a family version of Kanban. Now Kanban is um, a Japanese word originally mm -hmm. um, and, and is really about uh, a very simple idea of uh, moving, uh, of identifying tasks to be done and then moving them from to do into doing into done. From one pile to another. Exactly. Uh, and. <laughs> What's really good about Kanban um, is that it, it helps us to recognize the stuff we are doing. 
um, and that we have got the things we have achieved in a given day. It's really easy sometimes when you have one of those days where it's all a bit mad and you, you're flitting from one thing to the next. And you don't really feel like you've got anything of any substance done. Yeah. When when you actually go back to that Kanban board, you kind of go, oh, hang on, I've moved I've moved some stuff from the to do into the doing, and I've moved some do- doing stuff into the done. And and actually, it's it, it's very stuff productive. did get I, done. I have, <laughs> yeah, I, I have the kind of informal yeah. version, massive version on my um, on my wall next to my desk. Yeah. Um, because it helps me order my thoughts and it means I don't get too kind of caught up. And that's really what Kanban is about. It is about creating order and, mm. and giving the structure to getting stuff done. Brilliant. And there are loads of different productivity models and so on out there, but, but this is really about using those tools in a, in a very human way, in a very yeah. personal way to um, kind of not, it's not, the, it's not even so much not dropping the balls, but it's, it's the, um, uh, at least that, that elusive feeling of, being on top of things yeah and that that's that that for me that's when I know I'm working at 80% is when I feel on top of things and I feel like it's uh under control and even it doesn't have to be done but I need to have got it kind of you know like space and time in carved control. out yeah. exactly in control and that's something that I think is really important in terms of that ongoing sustainability it's really hard living in chaos and we've yeah. all gone through almost two years of it now um yeah. And and so these tools, you know, I've been very much using these tools through through the pandemic to to feel on top of things and to to try and process a, a lot of what's going on in my personal life, um, and to make sure I don't forget things. You know, things fly through my brain, and I go, oh, I'm just going to write that down on a post-it note, so I've got it, and I've parked it, and I've, I've you know, it's stored somewhere, so I'm not relying on being able to remember that throwaway comment or that thing that I thought mm. four hours ago. Uh, Brilliant. So yeah. So the upcoming, just to um, highlight the upcoming dates um, for the workshops are Monday, 21st of February at 7 p.m., Friday, 25th of February at 10.30 a.m., and Wednesday, the 2nd of March at 7 p.m. So yes. we'll um, link in the link to your website in the show description um, so um, our listeners will be able to um see um and book on if if they want to um i just want to ask you one final question so obviously mm. you've touched on the pandemic and the chaos and you know rules no rules and and the co- just the general confusion of of life over the last um couple of years um and obviously our industries events tourism hospitality businesses have been disproportionately hit by the pandemic and so I, you know, we appreciate there's a lot of people who are really wary about the ability of our industries um, to fully recover from, from the pandemic. Um, and this will have ongoing implications for, for careers um, in these sectors. What's your feeling about the way forward for our industries and, and for people who are interested potentially in entering events, tourism and hospitality sectors, how can they best prepare for, for what's coming? I think, we are on the cusp of um, a really, really exciting and dynamic and booming phase for our sector. Um, I think it's complex and it's not as straightforward as going, yay, we're all back again. Um, but it's, uh, there are so many opportunities out there um, and there are so many opportunities for, for really growing and developing our sector. Uh, yeah. The events industry in the UK is worth 84 billion pounds. Yeah, that's a huge amount of economic impact, and and that's a huge number of people that are employed in that environment. Mm-hmm. Let alone hospitality and tourism as well. So we're we're talking about massive parts of our society, and 
And yes, COVID shut them all down, but we are a really resilient, resilient part of the economy uh, and already seeing um, not just green shoots, but whole forests um, coming up to in response to us being back. And, and there's a really human thing about wanting to be with other people, about socialising and being in person. Uh, and that's uh, really exciting in terms of that's coming back. And it's uh, and we're finding ways to negotiate the, the mm. challenges um, as a whole sector. I think equally, the, the um, necessity being the mother of invention required us to respond and develop uh, and accelerate the development of virtual engagement with hospitality, mm-hmm. tourism and events. Um, yeah, during pandemic, I, I did a couple of online wine tastings. Absolutely delightful, works <laughs> treat. Um, but it doesn't, it's not the same as going into that particular um, hospitality business. So it's, yeah, there are, there are different, uh, and that means we've got, uh, we've opened up a whole new marketplace. And again, that's really exciting because it's got new demands, it's very different and, and it's new challenges. Uh, there are, um, our customers are still demanding and wanting the highest quality. Um, we're all learning much more than just the, oh, we're still on mute kind of element of, of online yeah. uh, socialising. Um, and uh, and so there are loads of opportunities. I think that's really where we're at on the cusp of this, this kind of um, landscape. New journey. Um, and, uh, and that's a really exciting place to be. You know, if, think back to other situations in history where, where actually these global crises generate uh, a, se- a season of innovation and really exciting development. That's where we're at now, and, and particularly within the events, tourism, and hospitality sector. Brilliant. So on a scale of zero to 80, where is the events, tourism and hospitality industry at the moment? I, I think we're about 65. Um, oh, yeah, there's still some nice. there's still some big issues um, of, of where, we're, you know, where we're going, you know, facing and, and you know, staffing in particular being a, a massive challenge at the moment, mm-hmm. pricing, etc. And then that's come very much from our events industry forum, where our professionals are feeding into us as, as academics and into the course programs that of the challenges that they're facing at the moment so you know staffing pricing um customer demands expectations all of those things are part of continuing to learn and evolve and that, that's really where the academic side of things come in, comes into play because that's our job is to really start to articulate and understand and research and evaluate those those mm-hmm. learnings so that we are supporting the thriving nature of our, of our sector so I think we're on about 65 right now. I think it, within the next 12 months, we'll be on to about 75 and, and who knows beyond there. Very encouraging words from Claire, Claire <laughs> Drakeley. Thank you so much, Claire. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that interview. There are plenty more here on the podcast platform. And of course, you can always listen on uh, live on Tuesday evenings from 7 to 9 p.m. on NLive Radio 106.9 FM or digitally via nliveradio.com. If you'd like to know more about the radio station, please do look at nliveradio.com. And um, we're always looking for support from the community and further afield. So if you'd like to support us, please go to nliveradio.com slash support us. So until next time, thank you very much again for listening.